In this episode of Real Christianity, I confront a topic that modern Christians have avoided, the justice of God. However, when Christians understand the justice of God, they can better appreciate the mercy of God. It's here that we find deep gospel theology that'll lead you to reverence and worship. So get ready to talk about all that and more coming up right now. Welcome to Real Christianity. My name is Dale Partridge. Today's episode is titled Romans 325b through 26, the justice and justification of God. Now, as you know, the show is an audio and video ministry of relearn.org. If you're watching the video recording of this episode, please be sure to subscribe or follow along for more biblical content. If you're listening from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, uh, thank you for your faithful listenership and do follow the ministry on social media as well. Uh, Instagram is a place that I'm curating daily content, valuable resources on the gospel, marriage, the Christian life. Uh, and Twitter is another great place for, I would say, the place for public discussion around truth and theological warfare. I'd love to have you join me on Twitter as well. This is the first episode of 2023, and I wanted to thank you all for uh, the support, all of our donors, all of you who have bought books. We closed this year very strong. It seems that more and more Christians are interested in supporting ministries who refuse to compromise on the truth. So please keep us in prayer this year as we fight to bring Christians and the church back to the Bible. Okay, let's get started on this episode on Romans. Wow, what a great book we have been able to get through together. And we're not that far to ending chapter three and diving into chapter four. Romans 3, 20 through 26 is really the magnum opus of the Bible. Uh, as I said before, uh, the doctrine of these verses is really like the sun of the biblical solar system. Everything really revolves around them. Uh, another way to say it is that the whole Bible really anticipates this section of Scripture. And for that reason, I want to give special attention to what's being taught in this section of Scripture. If you can comprehend and retain what's being taught here in these verses, uh, it's not only going to help you through the maze of theological confusion that can happen out there as a Christian, but it's also going to um, help you through the spiritual doubt and questioning that's pretty common in the church today. Um, so I hope these verses are peace and hope uh, to your life. Now, over the past three chapters, we've watched Paul eliminate um, any redemptive hope in righteous works or in the works of the law. Uh, he, he doesn't want anybody to believe that they can justify themselves before God by works of the law. Now, his aim is really to leave anyone, both Jew and Gentile, with a sense of despair. Um, he wants them to have this kind of inward view that they're, they're not possible to make themselves right before God by themselves. And he wants them to search for an outward hope. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's pointing them to Christ after he's absolutely um, leveled the playing field and really ripped out any false hope that they might have had in justifying themselves by obedience or by works of the law or by spiritual life or whatever it may be. And so um, Paul did this by talking first about the impartial jurisdiction of the law. He talks about every person on earth will be held accountable to the standard of the law. Every one of us who has broken the Ten Commandments, 
will be found guilty, even if we've only broken one of them, we will be guilty of all of them. And so he he tells us over and over that the demands of the law cannot be met by man's works. And once we've sinned, we've essentially become guilty. And we need, at this point, some way to be found righteous again. We need to be forgiven. We need our debt to be paid for. Uh, this is all obviously accomplished in the gospel. Uh, I think about James 2.10 that says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in it at one point is guilty of all of it. And this is a, a passage where you think, if you think you're a good person, you've sinned one time, you're not a good person. You have failed to meet the righteous demands of the law, means that you're not good, but bad according to God's standard of righteousness. And you will need to have somebody die for your sin. And that's really the gospel, right? Somebody has to die. That's the wages of sin is death. And somebody needs to die. Uh, and and someone needs to pay for that sin uh, in order for God to achieve justice. And so ultimately, Paul, uh, like Jesus, he's a law magnifier. We saw that. He, he doesn't want anyone to have a sense that they're capable of keeping the law. He doesn't want us to have a low view of the law, but a high view of the law, a law that we cannot keep, a law that we cannot conform to because it's not just a law of actions, it's a law of thought as well. If you have evil thoughts, if you lust in your heart, it's, you're still breaking the law, even if you don't actually commit adultery. Um, and so um, most importantly, we saw clearly that Paul is conveying man's central need to be found righteous. This is, this is the central reality for all humanity at all times. It's the number one question that should be asked by anyone. How does man find righteousness before God? And he points us to our need to acquire an alien righteousness. We need a righteousness that's not of our own, that comes from Jesus Christ, the only one who did keep the law, who met the righteous requirements of the law, and also died on the cross, paying for the price of our sins, and essentially securing the justice of God uh, in the cross of Christ. And so this is exactly uh, what Paul talks about in Romans 3, 21 through 22. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And so righteousness is obviously found in Jesus Christ alone. Now, in the previous episode on Romans, we talked about Romans 3, 23 through 25a. Again, you can break up a verse by, if it's got a comma, sometimes a pastor will break up a verse by putting A, B, or C there. But it says, quote, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as propitiation in his blood through faith. And in this short passage of scripture, if you remember uh, on the previous episode, Paul explained really the grounds of our salvation and how that worked, the mechanics of salvation. He gave us the rationale for why faith in Christ is sufficient to save us. And he argued um, around those three actions. They are justification, redemption, and propitiation. And he argued that uh, they, the act come almost like a gears and a clock, that all three of them work together to accomplish the goal. And if you lose one of those elements, you're not going to achieve the end result. And so Paul tells us that um, this is how salvation is accomplished according to scripture. And so um, essentially, I'm going to give you just a little bit of a breakdown because I broke it down before, but just this is what he was saying. God has justified sinners as guiltless 
as a gift, right? Through what? Through the workless means of faith. We know that faith is most, um, most clearly manifested in rest. So God has justified sinners as guiltless as a gift through the workless means of faith, which is our justification. He can do this because Christ, who kept the law perfectly, has redeemed sinners through what? Well, through his own blood, his death, his life. Um, we know in Leviticus, it talks that, that life is found in the blood, and when blood spills, life spills. And so he's redeemed sinners. He's purchased us back through the blood payment uh, that was accomplished on the cross, which is redemption. So we had justification, we have redemption. And then the, this blood payment and death of Christ has satisfied the wrath of God against sinners and his need for justice. And uh, that is propitiation, which is appeasing the wrath of God through blood sacrifice. And so justification by faith, redemption by blood, and propitiation by death. That's essentially the three things that really grounds us of why we can be saved in the gospel. First uh, Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. So essentially Christ operates as our substitute. He dies the death that we deserve and he gives us the righteousness that we did not earn, but that he earned uh, as a result through our faith. And so today's section, which is quite theological, uh, we're going to learn the reason God has structured the plan of salvation in the particular way that he did. Uh, you're going to find out that this reason is at the center of God's work. It's really a defense of his righteousness. Um, it's the ultimate driver behind everything that he does. We, ha we have to understand how God's righteousness is connected to his glory because he does everything to protect his glory and uh, to serve his glory. And his righteousness really is anchored together uh, or handcuffed together to his glory. If God is not righteous, he is not glorious. Um, and so we're going to read our text today, which is Romans 3, 21 through 20. Sorry, it's not, we're going we're gonna to read the whole text. It's not just the passage we're discussing, but just to give you the context, Romans 3, 21 through 26, it says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as propitiation in his blood through faith. And here's our text. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay, so the first and primary reason that we see in this text, God has structured the plan of salvation in this way, is to demonstrate his righteousness to all who may have doubted God's integrity regarding justice. Okay, we know that God is a God of integrity because he punished sin on the cross. Now we're going to get there, but righteousness is a term that has to do with moral purity. Uh, it's a term in the uh, Greek, it's dikaiosune. It's a great word with rich meaning. It's a term that asserts straightness or something that's upright. Uh, God is holy and completely righteous. Um, Part of being righteous is also being just, 
part of being righteous is also being just. God cannot simply overlook sin. So God doesn't just forgive people because he loves them. No, he can't do that because he would not be fulfilling his righteous requirement for justice. You can't have a good judge overlook a crime uh, because if he did that, he wouldn't be morally upright and straight. He would essentially be a crooked judge. And so God is straight. He is has integrity. He is righteous. Um, he's not going to compromise on his justice to accomplish his mercy. And so the same is true here in this passage of scripture that God's not going to simply pronounce the unrighteous righteous uh, because of love. No, he must punish sin to maintain his justice. Uh, And this is, again, what we talked about, the grounds of faith that creates justification and blood and redemption and death and propitiation. This is, he's doing all these things to protect his justice, that those things are required, which again, protects his glory. And so, What Paul's saying here is that to demonstrate God's perfect righteousness, God provided a way essentially to save believers in Christ while also demonstrating his justice at the same time. It's a beautiful paradox that we're going to talk about later in this message that essentially we find the justification of sinners in the punishment of Christ. And so it's just a beautiful expression of the gospel. One theologian wrote, by not allowing the sins of believers from Adam to Christ to be left forever unpunished, but by now placing them upon Christ, God has demonstrated that he was, is, and forevermore just. Because of the death of Christ and the public spectacle of his wrath towards sin on the cross, God can remain just when he declares righteous the one who believes in Jesus, end quote. And so this quote is a bit of a primer for the upcoming verse that we're going to read here in a section. And here Paul speaks to the grounds of why, why God needed to demonstrate his righteousness. Why did God need to demonstrate his righteousness, which we know was to publicly vindicate himself that he will not overlook sin forever in the sense that uh, from from our perspective as, as man, uh, as men, we were wondering from Adam to Christ, is God overlooking sin? What, what's happening there? No, God made it clear that he's not overlooking sin. In fact, sin is so serious that Christ will go and pay for the sins of the world, the sinless for the sinner. And so he says in this next verse that we're going to be here, it says, because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. So he's talking about the sins that were committed between Adam and Christ. In God's forbearance, he passed over those sins previously committed And Paul then says, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, and that is the time of the cross. And so if it had seemed that by God's postponed justice uh, towards sinners from Adam to Christ, that it made God unrighteous or lacking integrity, ultimately God revealed that justice will be served and the way of salvation will be through faith in Jesus Christ. So he demonstrates his righteousness in three ways. And I'll tell you them real quick here. First, he demonstrates that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that. We read that in the passage of scripture. And as a result, all will stand before God on judgment day, according to the demands of the law. We know that. So he made that clear in the gospel. The second thing he makes clear is he demonstrates that all who have sinned and received Christ by faith will have their sins justly paid for. So they're not going to just be overlooked. No, they will be paid for by Christ on the cross as their substitute. And third, he demonstrates that all who have sinned and rejected Christ will pay for them their sins themselves. 
He makes that clear. You reject the gospel, you will pay for your own sins. And this is John 12, 48. Jesus says, quote, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So ultimately, in uh, the revelation of the gospel, the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's made clear that God is not slack to execute his justice upon sinners according to the law. And he's not unrighteous as to overlook the sins of his people. And he never was. He was forbearing. He was patient uh, as we, he was waiting for the dispensation of time to reveal the gospel on the cross with the birth, uh, ministry, death, resurrection, ascension of his son. But the demands of the, of the broken law were paid for on the cross. So Acts 22 to 23, it says, quote, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, Jesus Christ, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death, end quote. Okay, what does that mean, right? Uh, ultimately, uh, on the cross, all the sin of God's people will be paid for. Now, not all the sins of the world, because if someone who wasn't God's person, God's man, God's woman, if their sin was paid for, then they would have no guilt. But no, God's people, their sins will be paid for. We know that, uh, you know, the Gabriel, uh, angel Gabriel says, you shall name him Jesus. Um, he will save his people from their sins. Uh, this idea that God or that Jesus comes and pays for the sins of everyone. Um, now, when the scripture says that in a particular way, he's talking about he's not paying just for the sins of the Jews, but sins from people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And so uh, we know that just logically, he's atoning for the sins of his people. And that's why in the doctrine of uh, the doctrines of grace, the L for the TULIP acronym, uh, which you might know as Calvinism, L is limited atonement. The, the atonement is limited. It's limited to the people who actually are saved because if God atones uh, or if Jesus Christ atones for everybody, uh, the whole world, then then you have a dilemma there where you have someone who is has their sins atoned for yet is still going to hell. No, he, he, he pays for the sins uh, for his people, for those who will believe. And so... Uh, for the Old Testament saints that came before the cross, who had faith in the coming Messiah, their sins were imputed to Christ on the cross, securing justification, redemption, and propitiation for them. They were saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, just like we are on the other side of the cross. For those that are in the New Testament saints like us, um, who have faith in the Messiah who came, um, our sins were imputed to Christ on the cross, securing justification, redemption, and propitiation. Uh, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, just the same. And so L.S. Schaefer says, quote, the basis of salvation in every age is the death of Christ and the requirement for salvation in every age is faith. For those living under the old covenant, it was faith in God. For those living under the new covenant, it is faith in Christ. In other words, no matter when a person has lived, their salvation is always dependent on both the work of Christ and faith in God, end quote. Another theologian explains it this way. Quote, it makes no difference with God whether he saved sinners before or after the cross. The cross is an eternal fact in the reckoning of God. Of course, the cross had to come 
for a righteous God could not pass by sin eternally. It had to be paid for eventually in time. Ultimately, the cross not only exonerated God from the charge that he passed by sin before the crucifixion, but also demonstrated that when he declared a believing sinner righteous, he maintained his righteousness through perfect justice, end quote. Powerful, right? So you're trying to get a little bit of grasp of the context here that God is vindicating himself by the gospel, that he is not passing over sin, but he is upholding and maintaining his justice on the cross. It is absolutely seen that sin is is worthy to be punished to the most extreme consent that he will actually send his son, God in the flesh, to be punished for it on our behalf. That's the seriousness of sin. So in the gospel, God reveals his plan of salvation to humanity. And in doing so, he essentially demonstrates that uh, no sin will ever go unpunished. It'll either be laid upon the Savior or it'll be laid upon the sinner, but no sin will go unpunished. And so Paul says that God does this so that, and I'm reading scripture now, so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What a beautiful statement. So in this, uh, this statement's in theology is often called the the glorious paradox. It's where you you don't expect to find something here that you find. And this is just a beautiful thing. God has found a way to execute perfect justice upon sin as seen in his wrath poured out on the cross while at the same time securing justice for sinners uh, for the one who has faith in Jesus. It's, it's, it's really a paradox in one single act God essentially becomes the executor of justice and the justifier of the executable. It's it's like accomplishing two opposite things in the same thing, in the same moment. That's really what happens at the cross. It's the very explanation of 2 Corinthians 5.21, which says, quote, for our sake, and that's believing sinners, for our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in Christ sinners might become the righteousness of God, end quote. So ultimately, in the justice of God, we find the salvation of sinners. Let me, let me just like say that for a second. I want you to sit on this statement for a second. In the justice of God at the cross, we find the salvation of sinners. This is like the exact, you would not expect to find the salvation of sinners in the justice of God, but this was accomplished uh, through Christ and only through the gospel. It's essentially like finding light in the darkest cave on earth. It's the last thing that you would expect, and it's absolutely what shows the wonderful, beautiful character of God. And so at the cross, we see perfect justice and perfect love collide. And as I said in the previous message, we when we understand the master plan of salvation, when we grasp what God has done on the cross for us, we could finally grasp the force and beauty of verses like Romans 8, 33 through 34 that say, quote, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. I mean, you just think about it. You go, God has put together this incredible plan of salvation to accomplish salvation for his people. Nobody can bring a condemnation toward his people. There is no condemnation for those who are now in Christ Jesus, right? This is, this is, a powerful statement. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said of this passage, quote, my hope lives not because I am not a sinner, but because I am a sinner for whom Christ died. My trust is not that I am holy, 
but that being unholy, he is my righteousness. My faith rests upon not what I am or shall be or feel or know, but in what Christ is, in what he has done, and in what he is doing now for me. On the lion of justice, the fair maid of hope rides like a queen, end quote. We know Spurgeon is just beautiful with words. He is a master of words. And I love that last line, on the lion of justice, the fair maid of hope rides like a queen. So I hope this episode was helpful in you understanding the biblical expositional um, meaning of this passage of scripture. That's my hope with this podcast. Obviously, we talk about other things besides just verse-by-verse exposition. But as we go through Romans, I think if Christians can understand Romans, we can understand the gospel. And unfortunately, the vast majority of Christians don't have a grasp on gospel fluency or theological and biblical literacy. And so we have many people who live weak, um, impotent Christian lives because they don't understand the truths that are found here in Romans. So my hope is that you stick around for this journey and that we can continue to edify uh, you on this uh, experience of getting through Romans, that you would understand the gospel and that your theology as it goes deeper, that your praise would go higher. And so thank you for joining me on this episode of Real Christianity. My name is Dale Partridge, and I'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. Also, would you consider leaving a review? You don't need to write anything, just tap the stars in your podcast app. But if you would write a review, we will read it. Real Christianity is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, and of course, at relearn.org. You can also follow along on social media. Just search for relearn.org or Dale Partridge on just about every social media platform. Lastly, if you feel led to support our ministry financially as we fight to bring the church back to the Bible, you can always do that at relearn.org forward slash donate. 